Ron. All right, okay. welcome back. Great. Light beer, dark money. I'm Sean Noble. This is Chris Clements. Good morning. So we thought today we would do uh, just a little bit more background on us. Yeah. Individually. Um, and so maybe Chris start with, I don't know, we are, I, I forgot to watch our previous episode <laughs> to see what I'd already said. <laughs> so I might repeat myself a little well, bit. We, but we talk, We've talked a little bit about you know, engaging our watchers, listeners, engagers, light beer, dark money fans in in our faith journey, right? And and what that means, and what that means to us. So, um, in fact, it's something that you've you've brought up a couple times. Yeah. So, and we've had some some folks on, like Kathy Herod and like uh, Frank Switzer, who've engaged us in in that and challenged us. And where where faith fits in both politics and then in the business sphere, right? Um, and it's a it's you know it's an important it's an important piece of our of our of our culture, and and yet it's 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 growing in a way it's dismissed as not important. Yeah, and I think that um, it's dismissed because I think people are. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before that church attendance is a the lowest it's been in, I think, at least maybe history. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's under fifty yeah. percent um, uh, regular churchgoers, and I'm among those. Um, as a as a guy who grew up in a very faithful LDS home, um, I'm not a regular churchgoer now, um, and that's been you know a part of my faith journey. And I guess uh, I'm the exception. Because I, because you are, you go. I, I, getting everyone to church on Sunday. You know, there's something like the enemy has in mind. Of, I mean, the arguments you have with your wife and your kids, and and just getting them out the door is is there really a lot of something. People, a lot of people can relate to. You. Yeah, and and now with the advent of streaming church, which a lot of churches have done very well. Um, you know, it's just easier. It's easier to stay in your jammies and 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 plop down on the couch. And um, but but what I found with with that, the kids don't they don't watch, they don't listen. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's a it's different dynamic. And I end up st- sitting on the couch by myself, <laughs> right? And 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 trying to take it on, and or I'm on my phone or whatever. So I really try to get the family um, out. And then and then what happens is. Invariably, when we, when we finally get there, check the kids into Sunday school, you know, find a seat. <laughs> We're really glad we did. Exactly. I mean, kids come out happier. Right. They actually love each other. It's an amazing thing that happened. The rest of the week is better. So tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Yeah. So that's a loaded question. I think I had said during the podcast with Frank is I grew up what can only be described as Heinz 57 in terms of faith influences. Um, uh, I was baptized in the Armenian Anglican Church. My grandfather came to this country fleeing the Armenian genocide. And my mother grew up uh, in a mixed family, a mixed, even by those standards back then, mixed race family of both Italian and Armenian. In fact, my favorite story that my grandfather told me growing up was that he he fell in love with my grandmother, 
who was from an Italian family in Fresno, California. He actually, I would have him repeat this story all the time. He actually, um, and so you have Armenian Anglican folks, very traditional. In fact, I think, in fact, the Armenians are considered some of the first Christians in the world. They're the oldest Christians in the world. Armenian, Armenia is 97% Christian to this day and, and wow. surrounded by, you know, what can only be described as some hostile right. folks. <laughs> and they've, they've, you know, they've lived out their faith and, and, and paid for that for over a million people in 1917 uh, being slaughtered by the Ottomans, which finally was recognized by, by our government, thankfully. But I used to hear uh, this great story of my, my grandfather, because of all that history and because of all that heaviness, my grandfather actually had to go to his father on the day of his wedding and, and, and ask him to come to his wedding um, and, because his father and his mother were not coming. And, and it wasn't that they were getting married in the church. They were getting married downtown at the courthouse because the church wouldn't marry them. Right. Both the, the Armenian church wouldn't marry them and the Catholic church wouldn't marry them. Right. So um, that sort of heaviness um, of religion which to me as a kid seemed crazy, which is why I would ask him to tell me the story all the time. So the story goes, um, he goes to his dad and he says, you know, I don't know what he called his dad, probably Papa, whatever. He says, you know, I, I, I'm in love with this woman. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with her. You need to come to my wedding. And his dad refuses. And he says, I'm gonna get emotional about this. He says, if you don't come to my wedding, then I am no longer your son. And you will never see your grandchildren, and I will never speak to you ever again. His father showed up. Good for him. And, and actually, my grandmother, the Italian, um, this Italian woman, took care of them. It was actually the, only, the one in the family who really engaged them his, you know, her in-laws and took care of them. In fact, I remember going to their home in Fowler. Gosh, I was three, four maybe. And um, uh, his mother lived with them for, uh, for a period of time. I called her big grandma. Hmm. She couldn't speak a lick of English, but, um, but she was there and my grandmother took care of her. So you had that on my mom's side and then you had this very evangelical, um, Southern Baptist influence on my dad's side. And my, my, my grandmother, Pat, was probably the biggest influence on my faith journey because she was, like I said, she was Southern Baptist. She was very much into like, the Bible is the world of God, is the word of God, and there's, there's nothing more important than the Bible. And so we, she, I was really into comic books back then with a boy who likes comics, I probably still am. Um, and so she would buy me these these Bible comic books. And now there's there's an actual actually there's a Bible now called the Action Bible. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. It's amazing. So it's it's basically all the stories of the Bible, all the all the chapters of the Bible, written and drawn in comic book fashion, hmm. like graphic novel quality fashion. Um, which is amazing because that's sort of what she was trying to get with me to understand all these great stories and, and all these great truths, which, um, 
which I just remember sitting with her and her reading with me. And, um, but I, but I did, you know, I, the first church I went to here in Phoenix was uh, Bethany Bible Church, which is right on 7th Avenue and, and Bethany Home. Mm -hmm. I remember loving it. I remember just thinking, wow, this is amazing. And it was very Bible focused, just like what my grandmother had been teaching. And um, when we moved to Tucson in 1974, we uh, tried going to a Baptist church in Tucson called Catalina Baptist. And we were told to leave because of the business we were in. Oh, in fact, my mom to this day, God bless her. I mean, she just <laughs> she brings that up to people, and that was just sort of the times back then. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just the seventies, and even I mean, people put people in boxes in terms of their faith and in terms of their religion, and so we ended up growing up and going to um, uh, St. Albans Episcopal Church, which. Um, and I grew up Episcopalian, which is sort of like light Catholic. Yeah. And um, loved our church, loved... Very uh, different than Baptist. Very, very different. So I don't know how, like, again, because of the heaviness of that, those pa those two past. My, my dad, I have some of his letters that he sent to my grandmother. Very evangelical, very, um, very Baptist upbringing. And... Um, so I think between the, the Catholic Anglican upbringing and the evangelical upbringing, they sort of, you know, Mashed compromised yeah. and, and, and went with, with the Episcopalian church, which, um, which didn't shun alcohol which <laughs> the did way the not Baptist shun alcohol or the Mormons. And, and my, <laughs> my, and, and my dad actually helped build that church and he was on the building committee and. He did a lot. In fact, if you go to St. Albans in Tucson, you'll you go in the lobby. There's a there's a plaque there. And it's and my mom and dad are prominently, you know, featured there. Um, but regardless, I mean, like most kids uh, growing up, and and uh, you 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 dabble in your faith, right? You don't really. Uh, we moved to Midtown Tucson back in I, I want to say 1983, and we stopped going to St. Albans. We didn't really find another church. Um, and I really didn't start questioning, not questioning, but ex trying to explore who Jesus was until midway through my, um, my time at the University of Southern California. And I had certain people around me who were really meeting with me and talking. I was uh, going to... Uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ meetings. I'm thinking, wow, this is a really interesting place. All, all the, all, I didn't realize that all these beautiful girls that I knew from, you know, the sorority houses were, were Jesus followers. And I didn't even know what that meant back then. Right. But that was the type of terminology they were using. And then um, I moved to Washington D.C. right after, right after college, and got very involved with some folks who put on the uh, National Prayer Breakfast. In fact, I lived in an intern house that they they had out in uh, College Park at the University of Maryland my first summer in Washington, D.C. And then I got to learn about a place called the Cedars out in, out in Virginia where mm -hmm. all these leaders meet with this guy named Doug Coe. And Doug has been hosting the, you know, prayer breakfasts for, for both the Senate and House side for... 40 years, right. very quietly. 
And so these prayer breakfasts that happen in the House and the Senate then have become like the national prayer breakfast. Right. And so then you get these stories of, you know, because the press likes to say that Republicans and Democrats just don't like each other, they, they don't get along and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you know, fast forward to this guy named Barack Obama getting elected as a senator from the state of Illinois. And um, he starts going to these prayer breakfasts and and one of his best friends is Tom, Tom Coburn, mm-hmm. who, you know, before he died, I mean, they were still very, yep. very close. And they're very, very close for a reason because they believed that this guy, Jesus, was real. And um, so that's the, that stuff that just... Uh, has had a great impact on me, and and yet um, I I felt for a long time uh, after my dad died in nineteen ninety five that I was just alone, and I talked a good game in terms of my faith, but I w- I lived in a state of darkness and anger, and um, that still plagues me from time to time. And so I didn't really um, fully commit my my life, fully, a whole heart, like Jesus is number one, until um, until 2015, in March of 2015, and a lot of things led me to to that journey. Uh, one, um, like I said, I. Had, uh, had a lot of anger and frustration after my dad died. Um, he died of brain cancer, of, of lung cancer, but they had found a tumor in his brain. Um, we didn't. It was it was December eighteenth, nineteen ninety four, and he died on February twenty third, uh, nineteen ninety five. So fast. It was so fast, and then you're inundated with all these people coming around, and you know. You've got this business. You've got a family to take care of. You just—it was a lot for for a twenty-five-year-old kid. I mean, I was, and and like I said, I I, I talked a good game, and um, but it, it was a really tough journey, and it took some. I don't need to go into it on the podcast, but it took some. Um, some real come to Jesus words by my wife during a, a really dark night out one night. And she said it to me very plainly. She said, listen, you know, we can stay together and keep doing this or you can, you can figure out what's going on here. And so I contacted a buddy of mine who I had been um, uh, in who actually we will have on the show by the name of John Desser. And and he got me around some pastors who kind of really um, helped me confront my demons, for lack of a better term. And you want to talk about wrestling with God. I spent about six or seven hours in a room wrestling with God and seeing some things about myself and about my family history, this this heaviness of all that that I described earlier, the religion, and 
Armenian Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, and all these things come into your, you know, your your walk. Right. And um, and then you've got you've got family history, you've got all this stuff that you carry with you that you don't know about. And then and so a lot of what I did during that time with John and these other pastors was confront that, look at it. And um, I can only as I can only describe the next day um, in the way that it's described in the Bible when Paul is, um, he's blinded after his confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, um, and then he, he, he's saved by, uh, you know, his, the scales falling from his eyes. Right. I had a similar experience the next day. And um, and since that time, it's been I call it all about Jesus. It's just been about following Him, seeing where it leads. I could not have gotten through the sale of our company if I wasn't in that mindset. I quit drinking. People thought I was crazy. I lost like 30, 40 pounds. People thought I was sick. There was all sorts of rumors about you know what sort of thing I might be afflicted with. Right. It was horrible, um, and that was coming from members of my family. So you can imagine. And, uh, but it really was just a cleansing. It was all this stuff that I had carried with me for so long. And I still have some of it that I struggle with. I'm, today I'm sitting here struggling with a little bit of it. But it's all, um, I just had a renewed commitment and understanding that the hardest thing I had to learn during that time is this idea, it's not even an idea, this truth that God's got it. No matter what you're going through, no matter what space you're in, God's got it. He's in it. And that was a really tough lesson. It's still a tough lesson. I still have to remind myself, God's in it. I know you want this, but for whatever reason, God has you here. And um, and it's okay. So uh, it's like I always allude to Rocky Balboa and his speech to his son. Just keep moving forward because nothing's going to hit as hard as life. Uh, that's so true. And it's not how hard you hit it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward i feel like life is that and and but what's your anchor and your anchor can't be your job your title your your status if those are your anchors you're going to fail and that was a tough lesson for me because a lot of my identity was wrapped up in this business that I had. It was wrapped up in who my dad was. It was wrapped up in who I thought I was in the community or the state or whatever. And that was all a lie. Those are the things I told myself. Right. But really, um, if you're not willing to get in the dirt, the mud and the mire, wrestle with God every single day, and understand that it's all about him and he's got it. You're, you're, but you know, you're, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. 
Yeah. Great point. Well, that's quite a, quite a journey. It has been quite a journey, but it's not, you know, it's, and it's not ended. It's, it's not your story. I, I, I made a speech, uh, graduation speech to YPO, um, Arizona, a couple, I guess it's been two years since I made that speech because we just had our, our first YPO graduation in person after two years, uh, a couple weeks ago. I went back and I looked at what I said because you're just kind of, you forget and you're kind of curious. And, and my, my big message at the end was like, your, your life, your story is still being written. You're not bound by your past. And um, that's kind of why we have the title of Light Beer, Dark yep, Money. You're exactly. not bound by that stuff. That's stuff of the world. And the world will beat you down and keep you there if you let it. Well, and the world wants to bind you to your past, right? I mean, that's because you get defined or you get pigeonholed or somebody has a viewpoint of you and they, they don't want to change that viewpoint because it's just convenient to have another viewpoint. But I think it's important that we all are evolving in the sense of we're all going to learn. We're all going to you know battle things. There's going to be challenges. But the anchor as you point out, needs to be God. Yeah. My dad got that. He got that at a very early age. My grandmother got that. All my grandparents tried yeah. to instill that in us. But you got you to gotta figure it out for yourself. And, um, you know, I've been really blessed. I've got to meet my heroes in life. I've got to do a lot of really fun things. And, um, and now I'm doing... For the first time in a long time, I'm doing the stuff I, I really love, and that. But it was on God's timing. You know, um, he and I were having it out about whether I should stay in the business or get out of the business back in March of 2015. Right. And guess what? He won, because he had told some friends of mine who were in deep prayer for me two years before, that he was yanking me out. In fact, it was John's wife, Contessa. She sat me down after after a um, Passover dinner. <laughs> she was like, hey, listen, I've been having this conversation. And uh, God really wants a deep, meaningful relationship with you. But he can't have it as long as you're a golden eagle. True story. It's amazing. And, I, and, and I'm like... That's that's crazy. What are you talking about? Well, guess what? It wasn't it wasn't her timing. It wasn't my timing. It was his. And and uh, God took me out of a situation that was incredibly toxic, um, not life affirming, in terms of the things I wanted to be doing. And it was time. It was time. Uh, we had reached a, a great pinnacle. The business was changing. The way we were trying to manage the business was inconsistent with those changes, and uh, we, we'd, uh, you know, we'd, for lack of a better term, we 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 had outstretched ourselves, and um, and it was time, and I have, I have no regrets. Other, I've regressed maybe in the manner of it was well, done, sure, but but, but uh, I have no regrets. I mean, especially, gosh. With the pandemic, 
I can't even imagine trying to manage through that. Well, all these companies, we're going to hear from some of them. Yeah. But just can't imagine. Yeah. Well, and, and so my journey is a little bit different um, because you came to, over the course of your life, to a certain point in adulthood when you figured out where you were. Um, I grew up in a very uh, traditional Mormon home, LDS home, and, you know, believer, that kind of thing. I, I had no doubt in my mind when I was 18 years old that Jesus Christ was my Savior. It, I, it was completely affirmed for me. Um, but what I didn't know at the time was that that doesn't necessarily mean that you follow all the prescriptive path uh, as a Mormon kid, um, which I was following. And I did for many years. I went on a mission. Um, I married a, a woman that I met on my mission who was also a missionary. So she was older than I was. Um, I was very young. I was 21 mm. when we got married. And I was 23 when we had our first child. And uh, I wasn't happy. And I was obviously thrilled with the birth of my children. Um, but I was thinking that I was living this idyllic Mormon life and thinking that I was happy. But always in the back of my head, it was like, you know, what's going on? And I was, I had positions in the church um, that were of importance. Uh, the last one I had was I was a bishop. Um, and that's not like in the Catholic church, big, big deal. It's a, I was over a congregation and, and in the Mormon church, all of the church positions are lay positions are unpaid. Um, so it's a volunteer thing. Um, and I was, it was a challenge because I really loved being a bishop. I thought that I was helping people. Um, and but I was also very busy with work. I was traveling back and forth to DC on a pretty regular basis. Um, and so my tenure as a bishop, bishops usually go about five years. I went, I think four, maybe just under. And um, it was when I was released as bishop that I was kind of looked up and I was like, I am not a happy person. Hmm. And what I realized was I was really relying on the the role as a bishop to give me fulfillment. And and to some degree as a father, I was not a great father. I was very absent. Um, and so, and I was one, I mean, essentially not a husband. Yeah. Um, so here I was supposedly living this idyllic, you know, Christ-centered Mormon lifestyle, and it was a mess. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I took a step back, um, it, you know, I, I decided that I was going to follow my heart, um, realized that the marriage wasn't going to work, um, and it hadn't, hadn't worked for many years, um, and decided to go through what I what I thought would be a pretty easy process to start, but then it became a very messy and expensive and 
and a hard process going through the divorce. But during that process is when I realized that there's a reason I was going through it was because God wanted me to be happy, you know, and, and I was grateful for the things that happened in my life up to that point. But I realized that they were pointing me towards a totally different path than what I had thought. You know, when you're, for example, when you're a Mormon bishop and the stake president's going to, you know, move on, the bishops are the ones that are the most likely to become the next stake president. And so our stake president left. Um, he was released. And, you know, for a moment, I was like, whoa, what if I was this, became the stake president? You know, it's it, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of advancement um, through the through the church, um, and some some of the most amazing people I know are in the church leadership. Um, but I I chose a different path, and you know, going through the divorce, and I'd already known Alyssa, who's my wife now. We'd worked together, and I realized that this is the person that I need to be with. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's how I'm going to find real happiness, but the path to get there was very challenging. And so, whereas for some people it's just say, oh, you know, put God behind me. This is the route route I want to go. I, I really viewed this as this is God directing me, which for those who are, you know, devout Mormon sounds pretty antithetical to their belief. Um, and I wasn't, I was invited to leave the church yeah. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> um, so I'm not Mormon and I wouldn't say that, and what's interesting about my story, you know, you talk to most ex Mormons, um, they're not, they're, they're, they have pretty strong feelings about the Mormon church because they left for really specific reasons. Um, some of my siblings, uh, are among those. Yeah. Uh, they have nothing good to say about the church. I'm very different in that regard because I still have a lot of respect for the church. I still believe some of the the basic tenets mm -hmm. of of Mormon religion and doctrine. Um, even though I'm not a you know a active participant in in the religion, so you know I I've told people the the most important two years of my life was when I went on my church mission mm -hmm. to Indiana. Uh, because that taught me so many things and prepared me for so much of what hap has happened in my life. But getting to the point where I was able to marry Alyssa, and we've had Reagan, mm. our two two year just over two years old, and then last week, uh, little Vincent, so Vincent the Noble, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, and I all, don't know. All he could just be called Vinny, you know. Right. <laughs> That's right. You it's, know, it's, it's one or the other. So we were, we were toying around with four different names. So I've, two of my sons from my previous marriage are Adam and Seth, and they're very Old Testament names. So I was kind of leaning towards like a New Testament name like Luke or Matthew or something. Um, and then we – Leo got into the mix and, and – Jake or Jack, and so it was just we were having a hard time when Reagan was when when actually when we found out that Alyssa was pregnant with a girl, she said 
her name's going to be Reagan. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, everyone's going to think that I named the kid. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> everyone does. Well, yeah, everyone did. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's 15 minutes before. Uh, well, and, and we've talked about this. So Alyssa's had some challenges with the pregnancy mm-hmm. and we, she was on You've bed had rest. had quite a couple weeks. This has been up to this. a month or so. Yeah. Um, water breaks. It's 940 at night. It's a week before she's supposed to go off bed rest. So she's at 35 something weeks. Um, and I'm like, whoa. And then three hours later, he's born. It was just the most surreal, fastest. I, it was, if, if I don't, you know, you can't watch that experience and have any flicker of faith and not understand that God's hand was there. It's 15 minutes or so before he's born. I was like, I don't. I don't know if these names feel right. Mm-hmm. I was like, what about Vin? She's like, Vin? I was like, Vince, Vincent. You know, because I was thinking of Vin Scully. You were thinking of Vince <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to go there. But, this, she, but if you're going to go there. She caught on immediately because she just recently, Vin Scully was part of a video tribute to Willie Mays for his birthday. Yeah. I've and, not seen that, but I've heard about oh, it. Oh, it's great. Vin Scully is amazing. And... Uh, she said, I don't hate it. And and she's a diehard Giants fan. So that tells you that there's definitely oh, some compromise. <laughs> there's some compromise. She said, you know, Vin said some very nice things about Willie Mays. So I think I can accept this. Uh, oh, <laughs> so thank you, Vin Scully. Uh, you have a namesake. But it's Vincent Florence Noble. And Vincent is, we, we came up with Florence is the, the middle name of her grandfather, Grandpa Joe, who passed away earlier this year. Um, and Reagan's middle name is Barbara, no, it's Jean, Barbara Jean Scannell, who is uh, the middle name of, of Alyssa's grandmother. So they'll be the, the namesakes for her grandparents, which is pretty cool. That's good. Um, anyway, so with marrying Alyssa, having Reagan, now having Vin, I, for the first time in my life, understand true, true happiness. Hmm. Um, and my relationship with my other kids is great. They love their siblings. Um, so it's been, even though it was so difficult and such a, a turn away from the traditions of the LDS church to go through what I went through, um, I know that I was being guided and that that's, that was my walk of faith. And, and I'm, you know, as you said, it's still a journey. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if I go back to the Mormon church, if I become a Catholic, I, you know, I don't know. So well, you're welcome to come to church with us sometime. <laughs> I, I know you've invited me. I know you invited me. So, so two very different paths of faith. You very firm in your foundation and me having had a foundation realizing that that was not necessarily what was right for my happiness uh, in finding true love. And so now it's a whole future, and I've got you know two very young children to carry that forward. And yet I think what's really interesting about both these stories is that they point to the same truth, and that is all this stuff, all the stuff of the Mormon church, which I can't even yeah, – this has been a nice educational – a foundation for me because I, I I have a lot of Mormon friends, but I don't know a lot about the church. 
Uh, in fact, um, a very prominent family down in Tucson who I, I love and adore. They're very involved with their church and uh, the Rustan family, hmm. which, which everyone, know, knows, everyone know. knows the Rustans. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you grow up around it, but you don't really understand it. And then, and then I, I know enough about the Catholic Church. And then all these different, you know, all this stuff that that we think points to Jesus, but really does it, you know. And I think, um, I think your journey my journey to a certain extent, but it all came to the point where, you know, all this stuff that we grew up with, the rules, the, the boundaries, all this, it's, it's important, but it's not, it's not what's important. Yeah. The, for me, and I, and I knew that this was true as a, at a young age, but I didn't understand until very much later that it's about your personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It's not you find Jesus through a religion. You have to find him personally. Yeah. And, it, 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 you know, if, and you can be something other than Christian and find your, your, your center in what other way you find that. But um, for Christians, obviously we... Well, and that, this, you know, the radical idea that, that grace, well, we named our, our first daughter. Actually, it was not... A, a biblical thing was after the U2 song, <laughs> but it's almost biblical. Yeah. But there's some biblical themes in that song. Um, but that grace is a free gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you have to work for. It's, it's a free gift. And, and I think what religion tries to do is, you know, try to teach that, Oh, there's all these things you have to do to gain favor with God or Jesus or that you can't do or that you can't do. And, and if you do those things, You'll never have favor with God, and and the truth is, your your story's being written. There's there there's a there's a there's always a time I tell everyone. There's always a time when God's going to have you on your knees, and you're going to have nowhere else to turn. And what you do then is the most important thing of your life. And that was the other sort of um, message of my speech back to YPO was that hey, faith is real. Jesus is real. And he's, he's coming for you. But how that happens, I don't know, but he's coming. Mm -hmm. And and you're going to have a time in your life where you're going to have to decide. Yeah. And, and and we had this discussion with Kathy last week. I mean, she she had that that sort of awakening where, you know, I, I think the meaning of life comes down to one simple question. Was Jesus who he said he was? And the Catholic Church can't decide that for you. The Mormon Church can't decide that for you. The Episcopalian Church, the Lutheran, you go down every denomination, whether you like it or agree with it or not, and they all have their issues. They can't decide that for you. You need to decide yeah. that for yourself. Ultimately, it has to be and, a and once you decide that, decision. you know, it'll change your life. Yep. Well, our lives have been changed. Yeah. For better and worse. Mostly for better. All for the better. All for the better. We go through, but but again, you know, it's, we, what I learned was that I had to face my greatest fears to, to actually get to true happiness. Yeah. And that was facing decisions that I would be judged by. Um, you know, I made 
decisions that, you know, people were highly judgmental of me. And that's, they had every right to be because it was against what they were believing, what I was taught, what I was teaching. Sure. Um, but once I was willing to have the courage to say, I need to find real happiness and I, this is, this is the darkness I'm going to have to go through to get there. Absolutely. 100% would do it every single time to be where I am today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully your faith story is maybe not as rocky as ours, but feel free to share it. Um, it's a musical it, journey. Yeah. Somebody once said. It's a great way to put It's it. a musical journey. So good. Well, I'm, I'm always going to throw YouTube references. This, I, and I will always be very happy about that. I was actually playing a little bit of YouTube for Vincent last night. Oh, yeah. Strumming on the guitar. I, I don't know the guitar well. I will just caveat it that way. But I can riff a couple. I can play Van Diemen's Land and I can play a little bit of. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. So. I, I need to hear that. Okay. <laughs> can you <laughs> You'll be it? sorely disappointed. Eh, on no. a good day. On a good day. All right. On that point. Yeah. Thanks for I, I didn't even get to why you choose part of my fake journey. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's an old okay. podcast. Well, we'll do a we'll do a musical podcast. Yeah, we could do that. And we need to do like well, we just we've got a lot we got to cover, so we'll end this one and get going on the next one. Yeah. If, if you're drawing a straight line through my faith journey, you choose. You choose there. there. They were there. They were there for a lot of a lot of kids growing up in the eighties. Yeah. Absolutely. Got it. Absolutely. So good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. See ya.